you turning with me, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn. Somewhere. What was the first one I gave you? <laughs> Go ahead and turn it to Galatians 5 6. Sounds good. Well, I turn there too. I'm a little off this morning. I hadn't played a drum in a while. We changed things up, and I don't know if y'all noticed. I kept wanting to like take the mic out, but I kept forgetting I'm trying to do something with my hands. It's like it. So today I want to talk to you about the process. I'll start by asking you a question. Who or what is leading you? If it's nothing, that could be a problem. We should all be following someone or something. So think about that for a few minutes as we get started. Who am I following? What am I following? Am I following a person? Am I following my feelings? Am I following God's plan for my life? You could. It's probably different for a lot of you. We could fill it in with different things, but just start thinking about that as we get going. Who's driving your car? The car of your life right now at this moment. Who's driving your car? Have you lost hope? The rough thing to lose. Did you ever have hope? Maybe the process the things that God has brought you through and the things that He has called you to is more important than you realized. We're going to talk about the process. It's important. The, th- the stuff that you've been through, but also the stuff that He's called you to. It's tied to your hope. We'll talk about that some this morning. Um, I want you to think about Sand. For a few minutes. When you go to the beach, there's so much sand. I don't know about y'all, but it's annoying to me. It gets in your car, it gets in your bags, and no matter how much you try to clean it off or wash it off the floats, or it gets all in when you get in the ocean and a big awesome wave comes and you get to ride it, and then it just somehow the wave takes you by the back of the head and just smashes your face in the sand and that sand gets all up in your nose and but there's sand everywhere when you go to the beach it's in your car it's in on your stuff it's when you try to go back to the room it's in your towels it's everywhere kind of annoying kind of like I don't say worthless but there's a ton of it you can go out there and get how much you want you want to bring home 15 jars of sand good it's free go get it Now, when I went to build a sandbox or when we as a church decided to build this volleyball court down here, what was that, last year, two years ago? And we had to buy the sand 
sand is pretty expensive. Now you had to pay a bunch of money for this stuff. When I went to go buy bags of play sand from Home Depot, they charged a few dollars for it. Wait, now it's the same sand, same thing, but it's a little more valuable. Malachi called me when I was in Carrollton last week and said, Hey, Dad, can you go by Home Depot and pick up some sandpaper? Because Levi gave me this giant worthless chunk of wood, and I'm going to sand on it for multiple hours. And I've already run through all the sandpaper I got. That wasn't his exact wording, but that's what I heard. (laughs) Just kidding. It's not a worthless chunk of wood. It's going to be something awesome. So I stopped to get sandpaper. Well, guess what? That sandpaper that he wanted me to pick up that fits his belt sander, the five-pack, it was about as expensive as like three bags of play sand. But then did you know that they take sand and they use it to make computer chips? A little bit of sand inside expensive, high-tech computer chips. The same sand. Okay, why aren't we talking about sand? What does this have to do with anything? Sand is sand. The same sand that's in that computer chip is the same sand that's out on the beach. I was born sand, and that's all I'll ever be. True. I was born this way. This is all I'll ever be. Okay. Sand is sand. That's all it'll ever be. True. But the same sand that's annoying and painful when it's stuck in your bathing suit is valuable. It's needed. It's worth a lot of money when it's in the computer chip. Same sand. Why? Because it's been through a process and it has a purpose. It's the same sand. If you will let the process work, the things that you go through and then be used for the purpose, then you are valuable. You are worth. You have hope for the future because you're stepping into your purpose. You become valuable, but... Without the process, you can lay out there on the beach with the multitudes because there's a whole lot more sand on the beach than is in computer chips. Many are called, few are chosen. And you can lay out there on the beach, but you don't have much purpose. Not much process there. Let's look at what Paul had to say in Galatians. Um, Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. See, so the Christians, the Jesus followers then, they're getting all worried about works. And some people were coming into the church and saying, no, you still got to follow the law. And some are saying you got to be circumcised. And some are saying you don't. And, And Paul's writing this letter 
to the Galatians and he's telling them, look, stop. Stop trying to do it. If you could do it, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die. If you could do it with your works and you could cover your own sin and you could follow the law, then just stop. It's about grace. And then Paul's like, all right, I'll tell you what. If you want to, if you think you can do a little bit, then you just go ahead and do it all. Because grace doesn't do any good for you. So he's telling them where we just jumped in. The part I wanted to say was this last part. He said, circumcision availeth nothing. Uh, But faith which worketh by love. The Message Bible words that verse like this. What matters is something far more interior. Faith expressed in love. It's about the inside. It's about the process. It's about what's going on inside here. Paul said, "What it don't matter." Is that ladybugs? It's about what's going on inside here. It's not out there. And I love that faith expressed in love. You can't have big faith without big love. Can faith expressed? In love. You know you don't need anybody to forgive you. We're called to forgive. We're called to release forgiveness. When we look like Jesus, we forgive. But you can forgive just you. It doesn't take two. To forgive. You can release forgiveness. Which is good news because some of us that need to release forgiveness, either the person could be dead or not around or not willing to admit that they even did anything to hurt us. or But that's okay. You think of it like a boat that's hooked up to a dock. And they need to separate. They're tied together with a rope. Well, that's wonderful if somebody on the dock is willing to let go of their side of the rope and somebody on the boat's willing to let go of theirs and they're willing to say, love you, I forgive you, I forgive you too, and you both let go of the rope and the boat sails away. But guess what? You can untie the boat if you're just sitting in the boat. You can untie it from the dock. And if you're just on the dock, you can untie the boat. You don't have to have both of them. To forgive, but you do have to forgive. Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it will change the future. I promise you that. Matthew 22, 34, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing that we do? The most important commandment, and out of hundreds of commandments, Jesus gives him two. Typical preacher. He, he said, I'm going to give you one. This is the number one most important commandment, Jesus said. And then he gave him two. So, in closing, why would Jesus give him two when he said, what's the number one most important one? And Jesus gave him two. Jesus said, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, your fellow man, as yourself. Jesus gave him two. 
why didn't Jesus just tell him, like, the most important thing is you got to love God? That's what a good Christian would say. That's the most important thing. you got to love God first. Most important. Yeah, true. But it's impossible to love God and not love people. I am convinced. And I can back that up all day long with Scripture. It's like, how you can't tell me that you love God and you don't love people. And I don't think you can really love people unless you love God. Really. Real love. Real forgiveness. It's easy to love somebody that loves you. Not a problem. I do it all. I can do that all day long. It's hard to give out agape love, God's love. It's hard to let that flow out of you. A love that doesn't need anything in return. A love that's not just, I love you because you love me. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Bada boom, bada bing. No, that's not God's love. God's love's not looking for anything in return. It just pours out for the love of the person. You can't really love God and not love people. You can't really love people and not love God. It's both. That's why Jesus gave too. Sometimes I, f- I feel like we come into church or we come into a gathering, we come into a worship service or a community setting, whatever that may be, and we come in with these suitcases, the suitcase of our lives, our mind and It's just full of stuff. We come in carrying baggage. And sometimes we need to just unload. Get rid of the baggage. Get rid of what we filled our suitcase with. And sometimes that's not too pretty. It's not that good of stuff. But we have to have somewhere safe that we can unload it. And get rid of it. Now, the problem is some of us have gotten pretty good at unloading it, but then when we get ready to leave, we pick it all back up and stuff it back in our suitcase and carry it out. So the next time I see you, you got the same stuff you're unloading out of your suitcase. And eight years from now, you're still unloading the same thing out of your suitcase. Not y'all, somebody that's listening by podcast. Or somebody that you know that you can tell to listen to it. So I'm not talking about you, but some people... Why is that? Because they pick up the same thing and they put it back in the suitcase and they say, well, thank you for letting me unload and release that. I'll see you later and next time I'll unload it again. They don't say that part, but that's what happens. Because they don't choose to refill the suitcase, the mind, with something good. You have to replace it. You replace it with worship or prayer or right thinking. Where Paul talks about be transformed, and we all want that transformation in Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the renewing of your mind, that's how you're transformed, is by changing the way you think. From wrong thinking to right thinking. By seeing yourself how you really are rather than this distorted view or by the labels that people have put on you or by your sin or by your weaknesses, but by seeing yourself as who you really are, that you're worth something or by seeing God for who He really is. That's how we find real transformation. By changing our mind. So when we unload all of that junk, 
We replace it with a new perspective, with new vision, with right thinking, and we don't pick that stuff back up. We don't put that junk back in our suitcase and walk back out of the door. And then we're able to heal and grow and move on. So we can unload different junk out of the suitcase and it keeps it much more interesting. You can always have something you can unload out of your suitcase. That's fine. It's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. Like these ladybugs. You got to fill up the suitcase with good stuff, with the right thinking. I'm going to skip ahead several verses. You can go back and read this if you want to, but it's, it's what I was just talking about. Paul's just talking to him about. It's not about works. It's not about the outside. It's not about what this looks like. It's about what Jesus did and his power. Skip up to verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's like, just walk in the Spirit. Stop with the list. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery and fornication and uncleanliness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft. You know what witchcraft is? Trying to control somebody. It's witchcraft. When you try to control somebody else. Just throwing that out there. Hatred and variance and emulations and wrath and strife and Seditions and heresies and envyings and murders and drunkenness and revelings and, and such like. And he's like, and anything else that's like any of these. All its little cousins too. If there's anything I forgot, that too. Whatever else. Anything else such like. Of the which I tell you before. As I've also told you in times past. Paul said, I already told you this once. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're just living in all of this, then you don't inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, well, I want to go to heaven when I die. Well, you get to inherit the kingdom of God right now. He's not talking about the heaven one day. Right now, the kingdom of God, your inheritance. We got our inheritance when Jesus died. And we can live and walk in the kingdom. But not if we choose to live and walk in all of that. Because our focus is off. But the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Look at somebody and say, I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. I am a spirit. I have a soul. You don't have to keep saying this to somebody else. (laughs) I am a spirit. I have a soul. 
and I live in a body. Who's driving the vehicle of your life? Paul's talking about letting this learning to walk in obedience enough to let the spirit drive. And, and your soul and your body, we're all in the same vehicle. But letting them take a back seat and learn to let the spirit drive. But see, some of us let our soul drive. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your intellect. Some people let that drive their life. And the Spirit's there. They're saved. They're a Christian. The Spirit's there. And he, he even gets to reach over and help steer a little bit on Sunday mornings. Certain times. Or, oh, no, no, no. Deer's coming out. Break, break, break. He does a little bit of backseat driving. He's there. He's in the car. Or the body, that's... I think of the body like your actions. I think about Matthew sixteen twenty four, where Jesus said, anybody that wants to, to follow me, come after me, follow me, or be like me, what do he say? You got to deny yourself. So that's your soul. You got to take up your cross, it's actions, the body, and follow me. That's the spirit. So if the Spirit is driving, or can I say if the tree is healthy, here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. That's all the arguing back and forth in in the chapter before this was about the law and what the law says and what the law should do. And and Paul tells them all this, like, stop worrying about all that. Against these things, if you be led by the Spirit, and here's the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit that will be evident and show up in your life. And against these things, there's no law that goes against them. There's no law that says you can't love somebody. Or you can't be long-suffering, or meek, or kind, have temperance. There's no law against this stuff. Verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And if we visit the Spirit occasionally... Oh, I'm sorry, he said, if we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk or act in the Spirit. So what's Paul saying? If you live in the Spirit, because you could say, I live in the Spirit. Oh, I live in the Spirit. The Spirit's driving my vehicle. Paul's like, then let's act like it. Then when I look at your life, I should be able to tell it whether you've told me that or not. Because if you live in the Spirit, or if the Spirit's driving your vehicle, then how come I don't see any fruit of the Spirit in your life? He said, let's walk in it. Let's act that out. Sounds like James, Jesus' brother. I show you my work, my faith by my works. 
Verse 26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. Jump to chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, if you're spiritual, if you're, what are we talking about? Being led by the Spirit, Spirit leading. So he's giving us instructions. If somebody's overtaken in a fault, somebody messes up, they get overtaken. Restore. World, that word restore is a transformation. Now we think somebody messes up, you restore them back to where they were. You, they mess up, they restore. No, he's talking about being transformed. You who are spiritual, restore or transform. You walk them through the process. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Meekness is gentleness, humility, courtesy. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You're going to mess up too. Think about that. You're going to need some grace and mercy at some point. What they think? What they say? Uh, saying, "Be careful whose head you're stepping on on the way up." Because you're probably going to meet them on your way back down at some point. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. You got to judge whether it's a burden or a load. We got to restore if we want to look like Jesus for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Huh. Verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens. Verse 5, every man bear your own burden. What is it, Paul? Should we bear each other's burdens or should every man bear his own burden? Well, he said every man. So maybe we're supposed to bear the women's burdens and every man's got to bear their own. Is that what you meant there, Paul? You contradicted yourself way too close. That's verse 2 and verse 5. You should have spread it out at least a chapter. Paul used two different words there. And it was translated, it was two different Greek words, very different words, and they were both translated burden. But the one that he used in verse 2 where it says, bear ye one another's burdens, that one means excess burden, a boulder, or something that's too heavy to, to carry. Like I can't physically carry it. Like there's something... There's nothing in this room I can't carry. Um, okay. <laughs> well, there are several of you, but I can't. Okay. If there was a giant boulder sitting here that I could not physically put on my back and carry, 
That's what that burden means. The one that he used in verse 2. Bear ye one another's burden. If something's on you that is too heavy to carry, it's breaking you down. It's hurting you. It's putting you in a bad place. You can't carry it on your own. You can't figure it out on your own. You can't. That's the one he said when he said, bear ye one another's burdens. The one in verse 5 where he said, every man shall bear his own burden. It means a backpack, cargo, or daily responsibilities. Oh. So that one, that burden, you need to carry. Your daily response, you need to get up and go to work, bud. Sorry. I mean, I hate it for you. You can carry that. You can handle your feelings, your emotions. I mean, I can't run in and help you carry your feelings. That's the burden that he said everybody needs to carry their own. Okay? That's your backpack. That's your daily load. That's your cargo. You have the power in you to carry that. So we got to de- learn to determine the difference. Because if we run in and help somebody carry something, because we're supposed to help, and we're running in and helping them carry something that was their daily load, it's what they were meant to carry. Because that's going to make them who they're supposed to be. It's going to give them responsibility. It's going to give them a sense of purpose and usefulness in life. And, and we're running in helping Carrying their load. But then we've also got to be sensitive to where if we just say, nah, you got to carry that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And they got a boulder on their back. And we sit back and watch them die because it was something they were never meant to carry. The community and the relationships were supposed to run in and help carry that one. We've got to determine which one it is. Some things you were never meant to carry by yourself. You can't. And if you're the one trying to carry the boulder because you're too proud or you don't want to ask for help or you don't or you just haven't let people in that close of a relationship with you to know that you're being crushed by a boulder. I think that's most of it. Is we keep up walls and I don't want to let you get so close to me that you know. And I can put on a smile and make you think I'm good even if I'm being crushed by something. But if we're really in relationship with each other and we really let people in and we're close, then then I know when something's crushing you. Most of the time I can tell just by looking at you. If I know you. I can look at your face and tell you're not okay. It don't take much for me to know if Jesse's not good. Why? Because we're in relationship. I can look at the way she's standing and tell you if she's good or not. If something's wrong, if something's bothering her. Like, why is that? Because we're in relationship and open with each other. You know what else? If you're being crushed by more than you can carry, and you're not letting people help you for whatever reason, you can't help anybody else. You can't help somebody else carry their boulder if you got a boulder on your back. 
So you can't fulfill the law of Christ and help somebody else because you've not been willing to let anybody help you. Now you can't reap what you sow because you messed up the cycle. And you can't help somebody else and they can't reap and they can't. And we mess it all up. And it's meant to work perfectly together like that puzzle, like a community, like a living, breathing organism. As we become the body of Christ and we work in relationship with each other, you help me, I help you. I carry what I'm supposed to carry. And because I carry what I'm supposed to carry, it gives me the muscles and the strength to help you carry what you can't carry. But I got to let you carry what you can carry so you'll have the strength to help me carry what I can't carry. Huh? You should carry your own load. Your feelings, your behavior, your attitude, your daily responsibilities, you can carry that. Pastor Bruce said, says it's okay to go to bed completely wore out. Like it's okay at the end of the day to just be done. I got nothing else to give. As long as you wake up the next morning refreshed. As long as you're walking away from yesterday and you're not stuck. You're not waking up still broke down trying to hold something from yesterday and don't, no. Like, it's okay if it takes everything you got and you're wore out as long as you're being refilled and refreshed and you're able to lay that down or empty the suitcase, however you want to say it. You got to wake up refreshed. Kind of hard to trust people. To leave things in somebody else's hand or let somebody help you carry the boulder. We don't like uncertainty. And people are, well, sometimes unreliable. They've kicked us when we're down. I don't want to let somebody know. We don't like uncertainty unless it's in movies, then we love it. We like uncertainty in our movies. It's a good movie where there's uncertainty. Oh, let's talk about Titanic. Since the Lyles are leaving today, headed on a cruise. <laughs> Sound good? Let's, yeah. Let's think about the end of Titanic. All right, look. You remember when Rose is on that door or whatever piece of wood she's floating on, and there's plenty of room for about three or four people, right? And Jack's floating in the water, freezing cold, about to die. And she's holding on to him like, oh, gosh, I hate him. He's dying, the love of my life. And he's just floating there, and his lips are turning blue. And she says, Jack, I'll never let go. I'll never let go. And then she lets go. I pictured like one of those. You know those little thug life memes where the necklace and the gold teeth appear on Rose? <laughs> As she lets him go, I'll never let go. That come from 
<laughs> we like uncertainty in our movies. We like to not know what's coming and then, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. We don't like it in life, right? I don't like it in relationship. Whoa, didn't see that coming. I thought we were friends. Now I think you're cray-cray. Whoa, out of left field. We don't like it in, in real life. In our lives, we want to know what's going on. But a life with no uncertainty requires no faith. It requires no trust and really no need for relationship. I know what's going to happen. I can handle everything on my own. I don't, don't really need anybody. Akuna Matata. You don't know that song? What a wonderful phrase. Eh? Well, I guess y'all don't know it. <laughs> we are not starting a choir. <laughs> That was bad. If you have a problem-free, worry-free life, then you probably have a victory-free, miracle-free, faith-free life. How's that sound? Not too good. And I would say you're just a baby. You might need to grow up spiritually. If all you're spending your prayer time on and your life is trying to come up with a problem-free life where nothing bad ever happens and you don't have any obstacles you have to get past and you don't have anything you have to work through or get over and you're praying that you never have a load that you have to carry and you're never... And you'd never have to trust. You'd never need a miracle. You'd never have to have a relationship. You would never have to count on God. You know, if God showed up with a forklift and gave you everything you've ever asked for and unloaded it, you'd never need Him again. Why would He do that? We're supposed to rely on Him. His strength. What He can do. Otherwise, we just think we can do it. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not, dece <clears throat> Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting or life to the full. Enjoy life, a full life. I want a full life. I want life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap. Oh, thank God. You reap what you sow. Ah. In due season, I'm going to reap. I'm going to get fruit. If, if what? If we faint not, 
What, if I faint, I'm not going to reap? Apparently not. If we faint not, but I sowed all kind of good seed and I planted all these trees and then I fainted. And I got no fruit. You know what, you know what it means to faint? A sudden loss of consciousness. Huh? <laughs> Stay conscious. Be awake, alert, aware. You got to stay awake. You got to stay conscious, fully alive, the message Bible says. Stay awake, engaged, full of life and breath. Ephesians 1. What Ephesians 1 says. Ephesians 1 uh, 19, 18. The eyes of your understanding. My understanding has eyes. Weird picture. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Check that in your mind. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now he feels the need. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he feels the need to explain how powerful this power is. I mean, because he's just talked about the hope and all different things that, that we get to have, but the power, he's going to explain it. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's a lot of power. The power that he used when he raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we'll have working in us. And he set him at his own right hand. In the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That pretty much covers it all. He fills all in all. That's all, folks. Look how the Message Bible words it, and then we're going to talk about it and wrap this thing up. I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to tell you. Well, I got one more point, and I'm going to give you two. <laughs> That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and I would give thanks. But I'd do more than thank. I ask. Ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you rich and give you a lot of money and a Ferrari. Hold on. 
to make you intelligent. I'm better than a Ferrari for some of you. <laughs> make you intelligent in what? In discerning in knowing Him personally. I'm praying that God would give you more of Himself. That He would give you a greater revelation of who He is. Because that will change everything. Your eyes focused and clear. What's better than that? Fully awake. Your eyes aren't focused and clear when you're fainting. You're gone. You're checked out. You don't even notice that your head's hitting the counter. Your eyes full and clear. And so you can see exactly what he's calling you to do. Wait, that's why I want my eyes to be clear? Yeah, so I can see what he wants me to do. So I can see my purpose. I can see the call. I can reach out and grab it because I can see it. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Who trust him or believe him, have the faith to step out on what he's saying. Endless energy, boundless strength. Does that sound good to anybody? Endless energy and boundless strength. Sounds like a good pre-workout. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on the throne in deep heaven. In charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. He gets to be in charge of everything. He gets to make sure the sun doesn't run into the earth and Donald Trump. Galaxies, governments, people. It's a lot of power. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. At the center of all of this, the galaxies and governments and rulers and all this, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. You know what that word means? On the edge, the outskirts, or on the fringe. He's saying the church isn't out there on the edge, somewhere on the outskirts. Uh-uh. Paul said the church is supposed to be in the center. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. All in all. So back to that um, verse 18 that we read. We read it in King James, then we just read it in the message. Um, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened would open up your eyes so that you could see that you may know what is the hope 
of his calling. And this got me studying some stuff this week, and I I was going to preach a whole message about it, and I just, I wasn't really feeling that was where I was led to. So you may hear more about it in the next couple of weeks because I looked up a lot of stuff concerning this. But what I started noticing is hope is always tied to purpose. And I started looking up scriptures and searching it out and seeing, and, and, and your hope is always tied to purpose, to what he's called you to do, to the calling, to the hope of his calling. It says right there, God, give me hope. God, I've lost my hope. God, I need hope. Give me hope. God says it's found in your purpose. What? Your hope is found in your calling. So if you've lost hope, I would say, what are you called to do? What is your purpose? Are you just living life? Are you just waking up every day and eating and going to work and going back to bed or what, whatever it is that your daily routine and you have no purpose, you have no call, are you giving to anything bigger than yourself? What's your calling? What's your purpose? Because you can't have hope without a calling. Also, in verse 18, I thought it was pretty cool. Hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches. We want the riches. God, give us the riches. God pours out his riches when we live in community. Inheritance, where? In the saints. Saints. People. Not the football team. In people. So, what's Paul trying to say right there? He's talking about we have hope when we walk in our calling and... and He pours out the riches that we all want. God pour out the riches and it's in the saints. Hold up. Riches are in the people. Yep. When we live in community, we experience the riches of God. It's the economy of relationships. Some of you have never seen God's riches poured out in your life. Because you don't realize that God's economy is completely relational. It's about relationships. It's about connections. I feel so rich right now. Just in life. And it ain't in my bank account. The Bank of the Ozarks heard me say that. They would want to know what was going on. It's because of relationship and connections and the joy and just 
I could just start naming, but it's the relationships that I'm tied to, the the ministries, even this big, huge, cool ministry that we're starting up. Like, I can't do that by myself because of relationships. I don't have the resources or the money to do this awesome, cool ministry and build houses and rescue people. I can't do that. But because of God's riches in relationship and His body being rightly connected, I've got friends or people that I hang out with now that dream big. Huge. So big it scares me. And when I get around them, you know what that does? It makes me want to dream a little bigger. Oh, I could dream a little bit bigger. Guess I got friends now, people that I feel like I'm in relationship with. Some of you in this room that I'm talking about that are just so loyal. It makes me want to be loyal when I'm around you. And I, and I think as I get older, now in my old age and my wisdom, the ripe old age of 36, I realize more and more the older I get how valuable loyalty is. I place great value on loyalty now where I used to not. His riches poured out on your life are not in your bank account. They're in your relationships and your family and in your kids and in the people that you look at when you carry their burden and they carry your burden. And that and stuff's just popping in my mind. And I'm going to move on. That's what real riches are. God's economy is relational. That's what Paul was talking about. If you're not walking in your calling, the next two verses is where he's talking about the power, what we just read. Power, I'll give you the power. The power is in you. What power? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we see other places in Scripture, the same power, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead will be it's, it's alive in you. It's there. So I started thinking about that. You, if you're not walking in your calling, if you're not walking in purpose, you don't need resurrection power. You don't need that much power in your life. For what? To get up and go flip burgers? You don't need that much power. You can handle that. How many of us have chosen to live lives that we don't need His power? I'm not doing anything big enough that I need power. I'm not doing anything in my life big enough that I need relationship to help me do. I can do it all on my own. I don't need power. So let me ask you that. How much power do you need? How much power do you need in your life? God, I, I don't want to look back on my life 
when I get really old, like 45 or 50 or something, <laughs> or even older, Lord willing, I know I'm not promised. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, God, I was trying to be serious too. I don't want to look back on my life when I'm old and, you know, about to die or I've died and I've gone to heaven and, and I look back on my life and I don't want to say, hey, God, um, why did I never have that much power, that resurrection power? Like, why did I never have your power in my life? And have God say back to me, because you never needed it. Hmm. You never did anything big enough to need that much power. You never trusted that much. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Will you use it? Some of you barely have enough strength to make it through a day. Close in Matthew 6. Something I started doing, and I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to give it one week. Try this. Give it one week and tell me if it doesn't help you be led by the Spirit. Or to see some power, start changing the way you think about some things. So, just to give you a little bit of context, um, the disciples, they get Jesus alone, and they could ask Him whatever they wanted, and they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. Like, that's what they wanted to know. Why? Why didn't they ask Him, hey, how do we walk on water? Or like... I mean, how cool would that be to like be able to change water into wine? It's a sweet party trick. You'd never get left off the invitation list again. They could have asked him that. Like, teach us how to make water into wine. Or, I mean, you spit on the ground, you made mud balls, you walked up and smeared it in somebody's eyes. Then they got healed, so they weren't mad at you, like, but you got, like, man, teach us how to do that. It ain't like Jesus hadn't ever done anything cool for them to ask, and they get to ask, like, okay, now we get to ask. We get to ask what? And they said, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they knew that His power came from prayer, from communication, from His relationship with the Father. They knew, like, if we can get that, then that will work out all this other stuff, like, we'll... Let's figure that one out. And I think a lot of times the Lord's Prayer, that's what we're about to read, the Lord's Prayer, and it's Jesus' pattern for prayer. But it it's so powerful and it's such a good pattern, but it loses its power and its relevance and its realness, if that's a word in our lives because it becomes so familiar and we've heard it so many times and they say it at sporting events and they, it's been repeated into this vain repetition as Jesus would say and it, it 
it becomes that old couch. I heard, uh, who talked about the old couch? Andy Stanley talks about the old couch. It's like that old piece of furniture that you got in your house and you don't even notice it anymore, but it's like broken down and nasty and has holes in it or whatever, and you don't notice, but when somebody else comes into your house, they're like, what the, why do they have that in here? What is that? What in the world? But it's just become normal to you. It's just that old couch is familiar. You don't even think about it anymore. What's your old couch? Is it nasty or ugly? Maybe it doesn't match anything. Don't let the Lord's prayer be an old couch. How do you address Him? You know, if you want to speak to or visit royalty, there are people that prepare you on how to speak to them and how to address them, what title to use, etc. So this is Jesus, God's Son, preparing you on how to communicate with Him, giving us a glimpse into the Father-Son relationship, a healthy one. That's not contaminated by sin. But if we're not careful, it just becomes Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us as evil, for thine is the king and the glory and the power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. I mean, <laughs> it becomes that vain repetition, but my challenge for you is give it a week. And at some point in your day, I recommend first thing in the morning when you wake up, just say the Lord's Prayer and, and slow it down and think about it. And say one line, and then if you want to pray off of that line and get off and go pray some other stuff, but slow it down and really just think about it and it being a pattern. Do it for a week. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father. See, when Jesus said that, it was revolutionary. This was unheard of. Father? Well, when you become a father, you want to be found. You love your kids. You know the first thing that Jesus ever said in the Bible was in Luke 2, 49? Uh, the first thing we have recorded that Jesus said was when they found him in the temple, when Mary and Joseph lost him, they had one job and they messed it up and lost the only begotten son. There wasn't even a replacement. Um, and they found him in the temple. And that's the first thing we have recorded that he said. I'm about my father's business. My dad's business. My father's business. And the last thing that we have recorded that Jesus said was in Luke 23, uh, verse 46. And it's, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Father. The first and last. 
There's only one time in Jesus' life that he didn't call God Father, Dad, Abba. That was Matthew 27, 46, also when he was on the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And the word that he used there was like a, a faraway deity judgment because he took on all of our sin and God had to turn his back. It's the first time he ever felt separation from God. So how do you come to God? Like a child? Our Father. Who art in heaven. When you come to Him, come as a child. That's all prayer is. Want a picture of prayer? So I was looking around for Sky. Is he sick? Oh, sick. So get this picture in your mind. I was going to tell Sky as my son so that you could get this picture to run into my arms. And if I bend down and hold out my arms and he runs into my arms and I hug him, that's what prayer is supposed to be. When Jesus started, our father, dad, hey, dad. And we run into his arms and he hugs us because we're his kids. You are just as welcome in the, th in the throne room of God as sky is in my arms. Our Father, hallowed would be thy name. Hey, Dad, you're awesome. You're the biggest and strongest, most powerful thing in the world, in the universe. Thy kingdom come. Thy will, not mine. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, what you want, I want. Give us this day our daily bread. Not mine. Ours. As I choose to live and walk in community and relationship, our daily bread. Give me today what I need. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, help me forgive. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me to forgive other people. But I feel like owe me something. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He'll lead you, but you got to follow. Spirit, lead. We talked about earlier. You got to follow. He's not going to drag you. For thine is the kingdom. It's about you. And the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love how he did the, he puts the bread in the middle, but I noticed it was worship at the start and worship at the end. Prayer is a transfer of power. And it'll bring His glory into your story. Try it. Pray it slowly and see where He takes you. Get that picture in your mind as you start. Our Father.
that picture of a little kid running into his father's arms and know that that's how welcome you are in the throne room. Hebrews says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Run into his arms. Let's pray. God, we want to be led by your spirit. God, help us to carry the things that we're called to carry so that we're strong enough to help people carry the things that are crushing them. God, give us discernment to know which is which. Help us to open up and give us the relationships that we need to be all that we can be. God, we want to be a powerful, strong people, a community that touches the world. God, thank you for pouring out on us. God, thank you for vision and dreams and hope. As we step into our purpose and we walk into new callings, that we have new hope. Thank you for the riches of relationship. Thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.